Good morning, everybody. Thanks so much for being here and for joining us this week for week two of a series that we're doing here tonight called Name Above All. Uh, this whole series is based off a passage, sort of a prophecy that was written 700 years before the birth of Christ, pointing ahead to Jesus. And in this prophecy, it describes who this Messiah, who this Jesus would be, who this baby that was born would be and what he would do uh, during his time on earth. And so uh, we thought it'd be kind of cool to spend the month of December sort of walking through this, taking a look at one name at a time uh, through this passage. And, and uh, like, like I said, it's from Isaiah 9. We'll get to that in just a second. But I want to start off this morning just telling you three different true stories. And uh, so I hope you like stories because you're in for, in for a treat. Uh, the first one is about a, a young man from Wisconsin named Nathan. There's a bunch of videos and articles and all kinds of stuff you can find on the internet that testify to his story. There's online interviews with his parents and with him and all kinds of stuff. True story. Come, uh, re reported originally um, April 17, 2000 in the Wisconsin Rapids Daily Tribune. And it's written from the dad's perspective. He says, uh, on this date, my son, Nathan, was in a near-fatal car accident. Investigators believe that he, that he lost control of the family convertible while trying to avoid a deer. 45 minutes later, a, a young man named Kevin found him, uh, came to the crash scene, and found uh, him with a car flipped over upside down. This guy had EMS skills, and so he stabilized uh, Nathan's neck while his mother called for help. When they arrived at the hospital, Nathan was suffering from a broken leg, spinal cord damage, and numerous lacerations to his body. Uh, within just a few moments, the doctors began to recognize he was having trouble breathing because he had a collapsed lung. To try and stabilize, stabilize him because there was so much damage done, they put him into a drug-induced coma. And Nathan spent the next four days in that coma. Doctors at the Marshfield Clinic estimated that his odds of survival at 100 to 1, like 1 in 100, so like 99 against. After a few days, the doctors decided it was time to wake him up, and so they took him off those drugs, off of those drugs that were keeping him in a coma, but he didn't wake up. And as you can imagine, his parents are freaking out a little bit. His dad spent the night with him, reading scripture to him and just praying over him uh, throughout the night. This is what he says. He said, that night, I prayed and I read the Bible to Nathan, uh, repeating the words that Jesus said to Lazarus. Come forth. He's like, I just, I just felt like I needed to keep praying those words over him. At one point, I told him, you've got to fight. You've got to wake up. And the next morning, Nathan did, acknowledging his father later that afternoon. He said, we were beside ourselves with joy, but the spinal cord damage that was done was a major concern. Nathan had fractured his C4 vertebrae in his neck. The same, uh, the same vertebrae, actually, the same part of the spinal cord that Christopher Reeves had injured numerous years before, leaving him completely paralyzed. The doctors gave him a protective neck collar to wear to help prevent any further separation of the vertebrae. He was in immediate danger of uh, full or partial paralysis. Well, Nathan, this young man, was in, in the practice of, uh, of reading his Bible and praying every night before he went to bed, and so he, he continued that and even kind of expanded it a little bit. So for two weeks, he spent time as he's in the hospital with his neck collar on, sort of immobilized, just praying to God over and over and over. God, would you, would you bring healing? I believe you you can heal. Would you, would, you, would you reach down out of heaven? Would you touch my neck? And would you heal it? And one night after he got done praying those words, he heard a cracking sound in his neck. The next morning, the doctors did three different sets of x-rays because they were convinced that the vertebrae had further separated. But to their dismay, they found instead that those, the vertebrae had fused itself back together. 
stunning the nurses and the doctors. There was no medical explanation that they could come up with because vertebrae don't just refuse themselves back together and especially overnight. It was a miracle. Just three months after that accident, this is a true story, three months after the accident, doctors ended up clearing Nathan again to resume his participation in sports, including football, wrestling, and track. He went back and had actually the best year he'd ever had, 1,200 yards of rushing that year. Insane, right? I, I hear stories like that and sometimes hear them firsthand and, and you find yourself asking, is it possible? Does, does God really have that kind of power? Can he really step down and touch people and heal them? Does he still answer prayer like that? Does he still work miracles? Is it possible that he can do that kind of thing? Does he work like that in our world? Story number two, I have a friend by the name of Tim who was with me in Russia. He ended up staying there. He was a missionary there for more than a decade. I don't know, a long time. Uh, and uh, I remember the year after I, after I was with him, uh, he, I was talking with him, and he shared with me this story. He had, uh, had to go up north above the Arctic Circle to do some ministry with college students up there in a town called Mormons. And uh, it's dark that time of year pretty much all the time. Uh, it's it was it's crazy. It's a super long train ride up and a super long train ride back. And the train rides uh, in, in that day were kind of dangerous for Americans. If people found out that you were a foreigner and likely you had you had money or possessions or stuff that was worth something, uh, you'd get robbed, mugged, sometimes beaten up or all kinds of things. In fact, this friend, this specific friend, had been robbed one other time on a train ride like this. And so before he went, he called up his mom and dad and said, man, would you pray for me? I'm kind of nervous about this whole thing. Would, would you pray for safety and that God would do uh, some cool stuff in our, in our ministry time up there and then bring, bring me some back home? And they assured him that they'd be praying, and his mom was a prayer warrior. I mean, she was a prayer warrior. And so she, she prayed and prayed and prayed and um, went up, had a great time of ministry, got back on the train, started, started coming back. There was only one other guy in the train car on his way home. And uh, the guy came up uh, at some point during the night, introduced himself, and, and, and said this. He said, hi, my name is Gabriel, like the angel that stands in the presence of God. And my friend Tim was like, I'm Tim. You know? <laughs> I'd be like, what are you thinking of that? And a couple other times throughout the course of the night, he ended up identifying himself like that. And my friend's like, that's such a weird way. I mean, who introduces themselves like, hi, my name is Gabriel, like the angel that stands in the presence of God. I mean, like, you just don't do that kind of thing. And especially in Russia, not a very common uh, kind of thing at all. And uh, he thought, well, that's strange. But they went on, they had a conversation, ended up falling asleep, woke up, and he was gone in the morning. Uh, and uh, Tim didn't really think that much of it. Maybe he got off at a stop during the night or who knows, whatever, until he got back to his apartment, his flat that night, and his mom called. And, uh, and his mom, the very first words out of her mouth were, hi, Tim, did you see an angel? And he's like, what? And she's like, did you see an angel? I prayed specifically on the way back that God would send an angel to protect you and to watch over you as you came, as, as you came home to, to make sure you arrived safely. And his jaw, of course, dropped on the ground and said, I don't know. Like <laughs> maybe I did, and I, you know whether whether that was an angel or not. Let me just ask the question: Does God work that way? Is it possible that God answers prayer? Is it possible that God directs even angels, right, to come and to, to work out His ministry to accomplish His will in our world, on our planet, or is it just a big coincidence? Could be. 
but I know thousands and thousands and thousands of such coincidences. Is it possible that God still works like that in our world? Story number three, I've shared this one before, but it's a fun one. It's, it's an oldie but a goodie. But, uh, but I can remember a time, for us, it was more than 15 years ago, where we personally were just going through a super hard uh, financial era. Like, it was there was a major economic recession in our home, right? We had a bunch of things come up. Our, you know, for whatever reason, with taxes and different things, our, our mortgage payment took $150 a month uh, upswing, uptick. And uh, one of our kids was born, and there's this back and forth with the insurance who said they weren't going to cover um, like one of the days that we were in the hospital, which you guys know, hospital stays for a day and all the doctors and hospital, all that stuff. It's a lot of money. It was more money than we had uh, at the time. And uh, I'm trying to think, oh, we had two flat tires in a period of like two weeks. And for whatever reason, the, a third one had to get replaced at the same time. So we replaced three tires. And there was a couple other bills that came up. And we were looking at all, I mean, the bills are coming in and the money was not, in fact, that, that was an era when we were pretty sure we weren't going to get a paycheck the following time. The church just didn't have the money. And so we were kind of like, Oh crap, right? <laughs> what is going on? And uh, and so we decided that we were just gonna take these things to the Lord instead of um, sending out a support letter or fundraising, which we've done at different times, but instead of doing that kind of approach, we decided we're just gonna pray this one out. We're just gonna lean in on God and ask him to really intervene and work on our behalf. And so we started praying. And I mean, you kind of find a new gear, right? When those when those bills are coming up, you're like, I got nothing, God, if you don't, uh, it's that song, like that song that we, uh, We've sung a couple of times. It's an elevation worship song, right? Like, I'm not enough in, in, unless you come, right? I'm, I'm done, right? I got nothing. Uh, would you meet with me, me here again? And uh, we started praying like that. Pray, God, would you provide? God, would you work? God, would you whatever? And I have to say, it was the craziest thing. Money started popping up everywhere. It's like it was growing on trees, right? I mean, kind of like it was it was weird. Again, we didn't tell to anybody, but one week after church, an envelope showed up uh, with our name on it. We opened it up. It's hundreds, $100 bills that, that are in a stack and that kind of thing. We went to a conference uh, maybe three, 400 miles away from where we where we live. Didn't really know anybody there. I kid you not, you'll think this was <laughs> uh, an, uh, an envelope full of money got slid under our door during the night. We wake up. There's a note that says, felt like God wanted me to give this to you. It was there when we when we woke up. It was thousands of dollars that, that came in over the period of like two weeks and provided for all of our needs. Amazing. Does God work like that? Does God provide like that? Is He able to work like that? Let me keep going with the story because it's pretty cool. We, of course, we're tithers, and so we took ten percent of the money that we've been given. We, we gave it back to God, and then we kind of felt like God was asking us to take another ten uh, percent of some of the money that was given and to to send it to a friend of ours. Uh, a woman that Tina had helped lead to Christ was going on a missions trip uh, to a part of Asia that's not real popular for, for missionaries to be sent, right? And uh, and she was fundraising. We got the letter. We wanted to do something but couldn't because of the middle of all this stuff. And so we took some money. We're like, I think God wants us to, to send her a check. And so we wrote out a check for $100. We put it in the mail and, uh, and we sent it off. And, and just about the time that she was supposed to leave. And uh, I thought, well, cool. Did our part. We got until we heard from her a few days later as she was traveling. She uh, she had sent us a message, and uh, and it said that she said, "Man, I was at the end of my rope. I had thrown in all the money that I had. I had sent out support letters. I had raised everything I could possibly raise. In the last two weeks, not a dime had come in." She said, "I called them up the, the night before I was supposed to leave. I was ninety-seven dollars short." And she said, 
uh, I prayed and I prayed and I said, God, you're gonna have, I mean, because at $97 short, she couldn't go, right? She, she, they wouldn't let her go until she was fully funded. And she's like, God, I got nothing. I've, I mean, I've sold everything I could sell. I gave all the money I had. I've raised as much support as I could raise and I can't do anything else. You're gonna have to do the heavy lifting here. You're going to have to provide. And the next morning she got the check in the mail from us. And I, 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 I heard, we heard that story and we just erupted with praise to God. Because, I mean, think about how ironic this was. I mean, her answers were, were, were uh, her prayers were answered, I should say. Her prayers were answered ahead of time, right? Uh, with money that we ourselves couldn't give unless God had answered our prayers and provided on the front end. See how that works? And think about how, I mean, God was like 20 steps ahead of all this stuff, right? I mean, like there's all, all the money that had come in and knowing the prompting that he would give us and the, the way that we would respond and send this. And he's, is it possible that God is that smart? Is it possible that God is orchestrating stuff that we don't even see this, in this interconnected web of stuff that we have no stinking idea that's going on? Is it possible that he's working behind the scenes, that he's powerful enough to prompt people you don't even know, right, to, to do things that will impact your life and impact the lives of those around you and work in ways that just keep us in awe? Is God mighty enough for that? Is he big enough? Is he powerful enough to pull that kind of stuff off? He does it all the time. He does it all the time. Like I said before, we're on week number two of this series we're doing today. I want, to, I want us to focus in on this title uh, that's given to Jesus, Almighty God. Listen to this. It's from, uh, it's from Isaiah chapter 9. It says this. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. He'll be called Mighty God. He'll be called Everlasting Father. He'll be called Prince of Peace. Of, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne as the Messiah and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. God announces through the prophet, there's this baby that's going to be born and he's going to be Jesus and he's going to be called wonderful counsel. He's going to be called mighty God. Simply means all powerful one, the all powerful God. It's kind of a reminder and, and God kind of going on record saying this is not going to be an ordinary time baby, right? This is going to be the, the mighty God. It's going to be uh, a baby that has actually come from God with his power, with his, uh, with his essence inside of him. This is the same God, that, the same mighty God that spoke the world into existence, that spoke something from nothing just by saying the word. This is the all-powerful one, he says. This is, a, this is God that can heal, that can raise the dead. This is the God that knows people's hearts, knows what's in their minds. He is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. There is nothing that he cannot do, nothing that he does not know, and no place that he isn't already present. This is the baby that's coming. This is the, the, the chosen one, the Messiah, Jesus. He is the mighty God. Even the first line in Isaiah 9, 6 reminds us of this sort of dual nature, this duality of Jesus. It says that he's born, but also that he's been given, right? Because he was born into this world, but he existed beforehand. 
He existed even before he came to earth, even before the earth was created, because he's the God man. He is Jesus, the mighty God. Now, this is just one of those deals that I think it's easy for us to read and to hear and say, oh, yeah, Jesus is the mighty God. Okay, yep, I believe it. Check, right? I mean, I, I get that right on the test, right? Yeah, Jesus is God. Okay. But it's easy for us to kind of say that stuff, but it doesn't really make any sense. It doesn't make any difference to us. We're kind of like, so what? Right? What, what difference does that make in our lives? And I have to say, friends, I, I think if we really get this, I think it would change a lot for us. I think it would change all kinds of things. Listen to this great quote from Tim Keller. He's one of my favorite authors and a, a pastor out on the East Coast. Um, uh, he says this great quote. He says, in the Bible, the people who actually saw and heard Jesus never reacted indifferently or even mildly. Once they realized what he was claiming about himself, mainly that, that he's God, right, that he's the mighty God, either they were scared of him or furious with him or they knelt down before him and they worshipped him. But nobody simply liked him. Nobody said, he's so inspiring. He makes me want to live a better life. No, they never said that. It, it, he said, if the baby boy at Christmas is the mighty God, then you must serve him completely. Right? You know what he's saying? He's saying man, if, if we really understood this, if we got that Jesus was the mighty God, we would live differently. It would change things in our lives. If it's true, then we should open up our hearts to him. If it's true, we should bow down before him and surrender and in worship. And if it's true, we should pursue him and pray to him and put our faith and trust in him and follow him as God and Savior. You know, it's interesting, but even this whole passage in Isaiah 9, uh, it, it kind of starts out in an era and at a time when everything is not going marvelously for God's people. It's a, it's a bad era. In fact, it's, things are not really going well for the people of God. It's not like a Hallmark Channel Christmas movie that's two weeks in a row I got that in, by the way. <laughs> but there was, there was tremendous upheaval going on in their land. Their country had been ripped apart, so there was no longer one country but two. And to make matters worse, there was an enemy army converging on them, and they were afraid they were going to be wiped out. I mean, it was one of the fiercest armies known to man. It was one of the fiercest armies in history. The Syrian Empire was marching against them. It was going to be bad news. In fact, the people, you can imagine, there's fear in the hearts of the people. They're thinking, in a little tiny country, a little nothing country in the middle of nowhere, you can imagine, they're thinking, we're going to die. We're going to get wiped out. And they're thinking, there's no way we survive. What could we possibly do? How can we get out of this? Who could intervene? How could we, you know, I don't know what to do. It, that would be the heart and what kind of is happening in the hearts of the people in that day. And in the midst of that, in fact, if you go back just a couple chapters to Isaiah, chapter 7, God starts speaking through the prophet and saying, don't, don't put it up there quite yet. God starts speaking uh, through the prophet and saying, why don't you ask me for a sign? I double dog there. Ask me for a sign that I'm still in charge. Ask me for a sign that I will keep my promises to my people. Ask me for a sign that it's going to be okay. And the, the king, the leaders of that, they start saying, no, I'm not going to test you. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to test you in this kind of thing. And then they come up to this next quote. Uh, this next, And this is where the prophecy that we're, that we're reading today comes from. It starts with Isaiah 7, 14. He says, okay, that's fine. He says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Here's the sign that it's going to be okay. Here's the sign that I'm going to keep my promises. He says, the virgin will conceive and will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And it goes on to say this Emmanuel will, will be given names and he will be referred to as Wonderful Counselor, 
He'll be referred to as the mighty God. He'll be referred to as right, the Prince of Peace. He'll be referred to by all these kinds of names, the Everlasting Father. He's, I don't know if you can see kind of what he's getting at here, but the people are living in despair. They're feeling hopeless. They're feeling overwhelmed. They didn't know what to do. And God's answer to them, he says, you want to know what? You want to know what the answer is? You want to know where the hope is found? The answer is found in Jesus. He says, I'll give you a sign. It's Jesus. He'll be an amazing counselor. He'll be filled with wisdom. And he will lead you and guide you in ways you can't even imagine. And the answer is Jesus. He is the mighty God. He is able to save. He's able to rescue. He's able to heal. He's able to do the impossible. He can defeat armies. He can provide in jaw-dropping kinds of ways. He can bring restoration to relationships. He can open doors of opportunity that are impossible on your own. The answer to the crisis you're facing, the hope that you need to go on, the power that you need to overcome the giants in your life is found in Jesus. He's saying he is the almighty one. He holds all power. He holds all authority. He is God. So would you fix your eyes on him? Would you pray to him? Would you ask him? Would you cry out to him? Would you put your hope and your faith in him? He's what you need. He's not some genie in a bottle. He won't just give you anything you want, like just exactly the way and exactly the right time. He's God, right? He's not always predictable, but he is always present, and he is powerful beyond imagination, and he has your best interest in mind. So would you go to him? He's the answer. He is the mighty one. I like Jeremiah. I like how he puts it. Jeremiah 32, 17 says this. Ah, sovereign Lord, you've made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. And he says this. Nothing is too hard for you. Nothing is too hard for you. You're the almighty God. Nothing is too hard for him. Nothing. It's this. No diagnosis, no hopeless relationships, no impossible situation at work, no financial lack. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. He's the mighty God. So would you go to him? Would you pray to him? Would you look to him? Would you entrust your life to him? No matter how bad the outlook or how hopeless the situation, no matter how dark it may look, this time of year we're reminded, we remember that a light is dawned. Because of Jesus, because Jesus has come, that the mighty God is with us. Now, in all honesty, I understand. We start preaching this message, and even, even me, I think all of us feel this way to some degree. But as soon as we start suggesting that God answers prayer, that God does miracles, that God brings healing, that God provides in supernatural ways, that God works in ways that we just can't even imagine, the minute we start suggesting that, some of us automatically take the next step and say, well, Really? Because I remember a time, right? This is where our brains go. Because I remember a time, and I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, and God didn't come through. I'm sure none of you think that, but sometimes I think that kind of stuff, right? Oh, yeah, because I remember a time when I put my hope in God, and it didn't work out the way that I thought it was going to. It's easy for us to get disillusioned and sort of cynical about this kind of stuff. Well, really? I mean, pretty soon we stop asking for the big, we start, stop praying the big prayers. We start asking with that kind of confidence because we think, I've been let down in the past. He didn't come through for me in ways that I, re that I wanted him to and I expected him to and I got burned. I get it. I mean, I think all of us, I have my own kind of laundry list of questions that I'd love to ask Jesus someday. I'm like, why? Why did you let this happen? Why, why did things come through? Uh, why did things come through the way I wanted them to? All that kind of stuff. 
And I think there's a whole host of reasons, right, why Jesus might have said no to our request. Sometimes maybe it wasn't the right timing. Sometimes maybe it, we didn't ask for the right motives. James has some stuff to say about that. Sometimes maybe it's our own sin that gets in the way, or maybe the sin of somebody else that sort of uh, kept us from experiencing and seeing God do what we wanted him to do. Sometimes I think God's trying to teach us or grow us uh, into something else. Maybe for whatever is reason, in his wisdom or from God's perspective, we just weren't asking for the right things. I don't know. Sometimes I think there's just some of the, I got my own laundry list of stuff that I just kind of scratch my head and say, I don't understand why God didn't answer that one. I don't understand why he didn't come through on that one. But can I just say this to you today? I'm, I don't think I can give you a satisfactory answer to every question that you have here. But can I just say this? Friends, don't let yesterday's regrets, don't let yesterday's disappointments stand in the way of today's blessing or tomorrow's miracles. You know what I mean? I mean, don't let yesterday's disappointments diminish your faith or keep you from asking or keep you from seeking or keep you from going to the mighty God with the problems, with the stuff that is going on today. Like the disciples said, to where else, who else are we going to go to, right? To where else can we turn? We need to have that sort of faith like, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We talked about this a few months ago to say, our God is able to save us, but even if he does not, we're still following him, right? We're still, where else are we going to go? We don't, he, his ways are not always our ways, right? His thoughts are not always our thoughts. We don't always understand, but we still need to keep going and trusting and pursuing. Because what if, what if the yes, what if the breakthrough, what if even the miracle that you most need in your life is just around the corner? What if he's just waiting for you to ask? What if he's just waiting for you to come again and again and again to bring your request to him so he can shower down his blessing and his presence and his power into your life right now? What if he's waiting to do that? There's a story. Well, I'll say before I get there, I think James says it this way. He says, you have not because you... Ask not, right? You have not because you ask not. He's just saying so often the reason that we don't see God answer our prayers, we don't see God busted, is we simply have given up. We simply quit praying. We simply quit asking. And, when, and, and then either we don't pray at all or we don't pray persistently. I was remembering this week, of, there's a spot in Luke 18 where Jesus has this interaction. Uh, it tells a story about an interaction with a widow uh, that just wouldn't quit. And in the story, uh, it's a parable of sorts, there's apparently a person who had wronged this widow, who had taken advantage of this poor widow. And in that culture and in that day and age, there was no way that she could take care of herself. She had been robbed or swindled out of her money or out of whatever kind of stuff. And she was in, I mean, she was in diapers. I mean, it was a big deal. There was no way she could take care of herself. And so uh, in, in this story, uh, she starts going to a judge that's in town, and, and she starts begging him, Judge, would you take up my case, right? Would you make things right? The people that have wronged me, would you give the money back that is rightfully mine? Would you take up my case and take care of me? It, it's all I got. It's, I'm betting it all on this. If you don't help me, I am destitute. I'm dead. I can't even eat today, right? So she starts 
coming to this judge. And the, the Bible describes, and, and Jesus describes it this way. He said, this is a judge. He doesn't care about man. He doesn't care about God. He doesn't care about anything. He's a self-absorbed little dude, right? Whatever. And, and he said, he doesn't care about God or about man. But this widow kept coming, and she kept asking, and she kept seeking day after day after day after day. And at the end of it, it, it says, now, this, this judge will finally say, I don't care about God, and I don't care about man, but because of this widow's persistence, I don't want her to wear me down anymore. Because of her persistence, I'm going to give her what she needs. I'm going to give her justice and help her uh, fight for her cause. And Jesus is saying, basically, he's saying, now, if that's, some, if, if that's how somebody that doesn't care about God or man treats you because of persistence, how much more would a father that loves you, would an almighty God who has, who, who has your best interest at heart, how much more would he graciously reward and provide and give and pour out his power and blessing of people on his people who consistently keep coming back in? God is willing is sort of the point. So keep asking. So keep pursuing. So keep praying. Keep the faith. Maybe God's yes is just around the corner. And Jesus ends the story with these, uh, with this phrase that sort of haunted me over the years. I just it plays through in my mind uh, sometimes. But Luke eighteen verse eight. This is how Jesus uh, ends the, the parable. He says, "I tell you the truth. Uh, he this this judge will see that uh, this." Woman, or he, God, will see that they, his people, get justice quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? It's an interesting uh, kind of way to end it. When he's talking about persistence in prayer, con consistently going back to God and crying out and asking God to intervene and God to work in our lives and in our world. And he's saying, but when the Son of Man comes, when Jesus returns, when he comes back as the King and he comes to set everything right, he's saying, will I find faith in you? Will I find you consistently praying? Will I find you consistently trusting? Will I find you consistently coming before me to get what you need? Or will you have just given up and just decided just to, to settle for what you can do on your own, your own power and your own strength and your own resources and your own wisdom. What's the implied answer, by the way? Will, when the Son of Man comes back, will he find that kind of faith on earth? What's the implied answer? Yeah. Probably not. <laughs> it's, it's sort of a negative. He's saying, not so much. He's not saying I won't find any, but he's saying it's going to be rare. It's rare to find people that are, that are continually seeking and continually praying like that again and again and again and again. Will he find faith on earth? And the question really that he's asking is, will I find that kind of faith and that kind of persistence in you? What would your answer be to that question? Are you continuing to turn your eyes Godward to cry out to mighty God? God, would you intervene? Again, not my will, but yours be done. But would you, would you work in this situation? Would you provide? Would you heal? Would you do what only you can do? Would, would, would you answer? What if it's yes? It's just sitting there waiting for you. What if he's just waiting for his kids to ask? Imagine what that could be. Friends, he is a mighty God. He is not short on power. He's not short on money. He's not short on his ability to intervene in your life and in your world. 
So would you ask? Would you seek? Right? Matthew 7, Jesus teaches, would you ask? Would you seek? Would you knock? For those that ask, there will be an answer. For those who knock, the door will be open, right? For those who seek, they will find, Jesus says. So would you do it? Would you come to me, Jesus is saying, the mighty God? Would you come? I have what you need. Would you seek me? Would you come to me? Would you put your trust in me? Will I find faith in you when I return? There's a story I ran across real early on in my ministry, uh, and it's stuck with me. <laughs> I think about it all the time. Never forget it. But it's a story uh, written by Donald Barnhouse. He had a professor in seminary, Princeton Theological Seminary, called Robert Wilson. And after he had graduated and started out in ministry, uh, Barnhouse uh, became a pretty well-known um, preacher in the 20th century. And uh, he ended up going back to the seminary 12 years later and having an opportunity to preach in front of uh, his, not really classmates, but at his alma mater, we'll just say, or, or whatever, but kind of preached to the, the students of that day. It was a great honor to be asked back. And so he came, and, uh, and this professor, Robert Wilson, came, and he sat uh, in the very kind of front row and, and listened uh, to hear his former student. At the close of, uh, of his preaching, at the close of the meeting, this old gentleman, this old professor came up to him. He sort of cocked his head to one side in the way that he characteristically did. He extended his, his hand out and says, you know, if you come back again, I won't come to hear you preach. <laughs> you like, what? And he goes on to say, I only come once. He said, but I'm glad that you're a big godder. When my boys come back, he says, I come to see if they're big godders or little godders. And then I'll know what kind of ministry they'll have. I asked him to explain it, so he replied this way. He said, well, some men come, uh, some men have a little god, and they are always in trouble with him. He can't do any miracles. He can't take care of the inspiration and transmission of the scriptures to us. He doesn't intervene on behalf of his people. They have a little God, and I call them little godders. He said, but then there are those that have a great God. He speaks, and it is done. He commands, and it stands fast. He knows how to show himself strong on behalf of them that fear him. They have a great God, and he will bless your ministry. He paused for a moment. He smiled, shook out his hand again, and said, God bless you, and then he left. Barnhouse ends by saying this, men are always in difficulty with their faith because their God is too small. If they could just once see the true God, if they could get that perspective that he, and see him as filling all in all, then the difficulties of life will rapidly diminish to their proper proportions. God knows all. He is all-powerful. He is unchanging. He is eternal. He is never failing. He has never made a mistake. He has never been surprised by anything that's happened, for he has always known and decreed all things, is how he heads. I mean, think about that. I hear that, and I think he's talking about a mighty God, right? He's talking about a big God. And the question that I find myself asking is, are you a big Godder like that? Do you have a picture of God that is proper, right? That is big enough to handle anything that comes his way. A God that holds all power, that can answer and do anything, that can speak and has all wisdom. A God that is on the throne, that is in charge and, and cares about you and is able to come in and work in your heart and in your life. That is a mighty God. That is the God that we follow. The one that we're told to ask to seek and to knock. Friends, this morning I'm praying and I'm hoping that our boxes will get stretched a little bit. 
that our faith will come alive a little bit, that we'll be challenged and encouraged to see Jesus as present and powerful. He's the mighty one, mighty to save, able to answer prayer, able to heal, able to work in ways that we never could. And my hope and my prayer is that we would have increased confidence and boldness to seek him, to ask, to pray the big prayers, to keep persistently going to him again and again and again, to not just rely on our own strength and our own wisdom and what we can do, but consistently be hitting our knees and turning Godward and, and crying out for the resurrected king, right, to come and intervene in our lives, to come and answer our prayers, that we would entrust ourselves to him because that's where the good stuff comes from. He is the Emmanuel, the, the God that is with us, but not some sissy God, right? Not some little weasel that we think we can. He's the mighty one, the one who spoke the world into existence, the one that, that not even death could defeat, the one who was raised from the dead, and the God who answers prayer and intervenes in our world still. That's the God that we worship. That's the God that we serve. That's the God that we cry out to. To wrap up just one more uh, passage real quick here but uh, there's this really cool interaction that Jesus has with a blind man his name is Bartimaeus and you can read about it in Mark uh, chapter 10 and uh, there's this interaction he's uh, alongside the road and he's, he's blind um, and and he's, so he's begging for money he's kind of alongside the road and Jesus and his whole entourage are uh, are walking down the road and, and he, when he hears that Jesus is coming by, he starts shouting at the top of his lungs, Jesus, right? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowd starts giving him crap, right? They're starting, oh, shut up. He's busy. There's all kinds of people. Whatever else. But he just shouts all the way, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Would you, would you heal? Would you work? Would you intervene? He keeps crying out persistently again and again and again. And Jesus hears him. He says, bring him here. <laughs> Get, get, that, get that guy up here. So Bartimaeus comes up, and Jesus asks him this great question, verse 51. He says this, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do? Now, it should seem obvious, right? There's a blind guy sitting by the side of the road. He's, he's, and Jesus, well, what do you think, Jesus? What do you think he wants? And he, he's not just looking for like a little bit extra money or whatever. No, he, he wants to see. Uh, but Jesus asks him. He, he makes him give voice to him. And there's probably lots of reasons why, partially so his glory could be seen. So everybody would know exactly what it was and who it was that was answering. It was the mighty God answering his prayer. But Bartimaeus finally says, Lord, I want to see. I want, I want my eyesight back. I want, would you restore and heal my eyes so I can see? And Jesus responds uh, by saying, go, your faith has made you well. And he received his sight. I love that story, uh, and, and I love every part of it. Uh, I love, obviously, it gives us a snapshot of Jesus' power and authority over everything, right? It's, it's a reminder that he is still the God that can heal. He can he still hold all wisdom. He still can do anything, right? This is the, the mighty God that we've been talking about. But also because I wonder sometimes if uh, that same Jesus isn't present with us here, the Emmanuel, the mighty God. And I wonder if he's not saying to you, and to me today, what do you want me to do for you? And I wonder what our answer, I wonder what your answer would be, I wonder what my answer would be to his question, what do you want me to do for you? This is the big leagues, right? We're standing face to face with Jesus. We have the opportunity to ask, to seek, to, to come near. 
and to place our request at his feet. Lord, I want to see you. Lord, I need healing. Lord, I need a touch from you. Lord, would you intervene in my life? Would you, whatever it is that's, that's going on in our hearts, in our lives, we have the opportunity to stand before the mighty one and to bring our request to him. That same Jesus who's here today is powerful. He's present. He's at work. And he's looking at you and looking at me today. We're going to close our service in a way that is uh, very different from how we, we do sometimes. But in just a minute, I'm going to have the worship team come up. And they've got a song they're going to do. And, and uh, then we're just going to take a few minutes, even in the midst of the song, where we're going to pray. And, uh, and if you are here today and there's stuff going on uh, in your life, all of us have stuff, right? But maybe there's some significant things happening in your life. I would encourage you just to use this time together just to, turn, to quit relying on our own resources, our own power, our own wisdom, our own whatever, and to turn our faces and our eyes, our hands, even Godward, and just cry out to the mighty one, saying, Jesus, I need you. Would you come and bust into my life? Would you come and be my savior? Would you come and be my God? Would you come and be my provider? Would you come and be my healer? Would you come and whatever it is that's going on? Would you come and, and reveal yourself to them? Would you come and work out your will and your ways in my life. For the, for the first time for some of us, maybe we'll turn our eyes to the rightful place and just to spend a few minutes crying out for him in ways that we need to experience him and know him and see his work in our lives. For those of us that have maybe some significant stuff going on or are comfortable, there's a few of us that are going to come up here and just pray with them. If there's a way that, that um, you really want, want and need Days, Jesus to bust into your life and show himself strong. Uh, I encourage you, again, at the halfway point of the song, I'll, I'll get up and let you know it's time. But just to invite you to come up and, uh, and kind of take a step of faith, come forward, and we're just going to ask you, uh, each one of us, the, the first question was, that, what do you want Jesus to do for you today? And, uh, and you can just share what's on your heart briefly, and then we're going to lay a hand on you, and we're just going to pray God's blessing and care and ask for, ask for Jesus, right, the mighty, the mighty God to come and bust in. I like uh, John Wimber has a quote that I like a lot. He said, he said, he's talking about healing at this particular time. He said, you know, our job is to ask. God's job is to heal. If he chooses not to, well, that's on him, right? That, that, that has a, because we, uh, again, going back to what we said before, his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. He might be working on different, maybe the answer is no today. Maybe the answer is wait today. Maybe the answer is not yet. Maybe there's something, who knows. But our, we have the opportunity and the privilege. He invites us to come. And so we are going to pray in faith. We are going to pray uh, for healing for those that need. We're going to pray uh, for provision for those that need. We're going to pray for whatever is going on in your heart. And you will trust the results to God. Sound good? I'm, gonna, I'm just going to pray for us real quick. The team's going to come up. And then, uh, like I said, they're going to sing part of the song. And then at that point, if you'd like to come forward, uh, we'd love to pray for you as well. Let's pray together. God, I thank you that you are such a mighty God, such an amazing Savior and King. Thank you that you know all, that you are ever-present, that you hold all power and authority. Thanks that you are a God that is living and active. You are unchanging in your ways. A God that, that healed and performed miracles back then, and a God who still heals and works and provides and performs miracles today. A God that still leads by his spirit, who un unleashes his truth and, and changes lives and, 
draws people to Jesus. You are living and active here today. And Lord, I pray even in these moments that we would just turn our eyes and our hearts to you. We would open wide our hearts and our lives that we would cry out to you. I pray, God, that you make your presence known here in Memphis. That you would soften our hearts and you humble us before you. Forgive us for uh, too often, too easily, uh, just relying on our own resources for, for so easily just giving up rather than persistent.